Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Welcome, guys. Um, real quickly, I want to talk to the students. Welcome back. Glad you're here. Um, here's, here's my challenge to you. Um, we have a lot of very faithful college students. Some of you may be here for the first time. You're here because it's a new semester. Um, college students, I love you. I've, I've served much of my life with college. You need the local church. You need it. The narrative on the college campus is more drink, more sex, more experience will fulfill you. And you need a voice speaking against that. That says those are good gifts of God, but not ultimate gifts. And challenge you, encourage you, faithfulness. Be faithful to a local church where you can grow and connect. We love that you're here. Let's keep seeing you. All right? Um, adults, welcome. So good to be back with you guys. We missed you last week. So last week I was actually gone. I wasn't going to be here anyway. Brad was going to speak. Um, last week I was in New York. Um, and we have a church partnership there in New York. A guy named Rich Perez, Christ Crucified Fellowship. If you're familiar with Manhattan, uh, you have Lower Manhattan, you have Times Square and Central Park and all that. And then above that, a few miles, you have this area called Washington Heights. And it's a very diverse, very low um, socioeconomic area. And we have this church plant there that we are helping support. And I went to go visit them. Never been to their church. And it was awesome. The, the congregation, maybe 100, 150 people um, of just looking out, a diversity that I crave and long for at Hill City. I crave and long for in Springfield. <laughs> There were black, there was white, there was Hispanic, there was Afri people from African descent, people from Dominican descent, people from, from Mexico, it was just a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And here's the deal, guys. So by the way, Rich is going to come here, the pastor, March 4th. He's going to come and speak to us. We're going to bring him here. And he is not used to um, Midwest America. And here's what I mean by that. When I'm up here speaking, you all just kind of... Mm -hmm. Nice. When he is up speaking, his church is like the most interactive congregation I've ever been. It was stinking awesome. Like I, every bit of me want to be like, let me, like, give me a chance up there. Because every time he says something, it's only like, yeah, that's right. Yep. Amen. Just like totally. It was awesome. So there's this, I'm sitting near the back and there's this lady sitting right in front of me. And, uh, and you know how sometimes like when we're up here speaking, we start to get a little excited and get going. And so that's what Rich was doing on stage. He was kind of getting into it and he was talking about Ephesians 2. It's one of our verses, you know, one of those passages that we at Hill City just, just center ourselves around that idea uh, when Paul's saying like Christ didn't come for the godly, he came for those that are sick. And he's like, he's like many of you, like you were lost and when did Christ come to die for you? Know, when did he come for you? He came while you were still in your sin, right? He's making this. He's like, listen, Jesus didn't come whenever you finish your act together. And this woman's right in front of me goes, uh-huh, pastor, preach it. And just like keeps her hand up. He goes, and then he gets even going more. He's like, and listen, and, and he doesn't expect you to come and get your act together. And she, oh, yeah, preach it. And I'm like, oh, I want that so bad. So if you guys will help me this morning. Because I'm telling you, we got to start practicing. Because if you sit there quietly when Rich is here, he will think you hate him. <laughs> so we're going to practice this morning, all right? Amen. Hey, thank you. All right, there we go. I'm telling you. Man, we are too stiff here. And I was just like, gosh, i got to give me some of that. So if you all will help me today, I'd really appreciate that. Um, hey, so that's uh, March 4th. It's in a couple months. So he will be here. We're going to have a weekend where you're going to interact uh, with him, we're planning some things there, but he will preach that son, this uh, in here on March 4th. Now, important date, pull out your phones, February 4th, it's in a couple of weeks, it's a big Sunday for us, it is our Vision Sunday where we, so we're about a year and a half years old, something like that, coming up on two years, the elders and leaders have been praying about what does the next five years look like for Hill City? What could God accomplish among us with a group of people that are, that are, furious, passionate and furious for his name and his glory. What could God do in our city and around the world? And we are going to start to share some of those visions that we believe that God has given us for the next five years. That is February 4th. If you're a regular member, a regular attender, a covenant member, please be here as we start to celebrate what God will do the following Sunday night 
will gather in prayer as a community over those things. That will be the following Sunday, February 4th, Vision Sunday. The following Sunday evening, we will come together as, as a community just praying over the things that we believe the Lord is leading us to. Let's jump in today. The name of this series is Thrive. If you were not here last week, I would encourage you to listen to, or two weeks ago, none of us were here last week because it snowed apparently. Um, two weeks ago, did the introduction for Thrive. And basically what Thrive is, is a, a chance for us to lay out God's plan and God's role for gender and what God's design is. So week one, spent the whole time laying out from the book of Genesis, God's design for the roles of women and men. Okay, today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that design. I'll give you just a little bit of a recap and take that design. And then here's what we're going to say today. How do those gender roles and God's design, how does that play into the life of the local church? Like, what does that mean for the church and for Hill City? Now, here's the attitude that we come from. We trust and we believe that God is a giver of all good things. All good things. And that one of the good things that he is a giver of are male and female and their specific roles and their specific design. We believe that that is a gift of God for the family, for marriage, and for the church. And we embrace that design. And when we look at Genesis, we see this beautiful significance to how God created, created men and women. Now, as Brad said, this topic is one that um, can be uh, landmines all over the place. And there's some dangers when we get in this topic. Here's some dangers, I'll just name them. One danger is that we allow current beliefs and values of our culture to define our worldview. That's a danger. Is we just look around our culture and say, what is the value of the culture today, and that's what we as a church, if we're going to be relevant in that culture, we have to just go along with those values. We would deny that. Here's another danger as we talk about this. The danger is that we allow our own thoughts and reason to be our guide. Like, here's, a here's kind of a bad start when we get into Bible study. When the, when the sentence starts like this, well, I think... Because uh, as loving as I can tell you, I don't know if God cares what you think. And so we always want to start the conversation with, here's what the Bible says. Or the Bible says, and then we talk and we, and we reason and we look and we wrestle. And then we say, okay, because the Bible says, now I think. But it, we can't go the opposite way. That's a danger. Okay? Now, here's another big danger with, with looking at passages like we're going to look at today, is there's a difficulty sometime in understanding um, that the Bible is a, as a document that the earliest are 2,000 years old. Some of them are thousands of years beyond that. And that those passages were written to a specific people for a specific time, for a specific, specific place. And we have to understand the context and look through the cultural lens of what's going on that day to understand what's going on. For example, we're not going to look at this. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians that talks about when women come to church, they should cover their heads. Okay? Now, obviously, look around. We don't, necessarily, we don't believe that was true. We believe, based on the context of what's going on, that was for a specific church with a specific thing that was going on. So as we talk about these passages, we have to work hard to understand the context in which they come. But one thing we will not back down on as, as elders here is that we hold to Scripture as our final authority. If you're a believer in Christ who has said, I'm following Jesus, um, for 2,000 years what that has meant is Jesus, and as he is revealed in the Bible, is my authority for my life. Not me, culture, what I think what other people think. Scripture is my authority. That's how it's been for thousands of years. And we, so we believe that the Holy Spirit now takes that word, takes that Bible and illuminates in our hearts so we can understand it and believe it and obey it. But we believe on the issue of gender, on marriage, on male and female roles that God has spoken through his word. But then as now contemporary readers, we have to make sure to understand what is going on. Now, one other thing before we get going. 
One of the rules in Bible study. You never build a doctrine, this firm belief off one passage of scripture, one little verse, without looking at the rest of the scripture to see what else the Bible says. That is a rule of Bible study. And so you never take a verse, one little sentence, and pull it out and say, okay, boom, this is what I believe, here we go. You can't do that. We have to look at the whole Bible. Because we can take little sentences out all, all over the place and build, and build a beliefs on them. For example, there's a place in Genesis that says, every seed-bearing plant is good. To which every stoner says, amen, amen, every seed-bearing plant. That's, I don't think that's what he was talking about. I mean, do your thing, but... There's that, how many of you grew up in like real traditional church? Anyone go to church camp? Girls, you ever go to church camp and you had to do the short test like with your arms came down and if they, right? Because the Bible talks about, you know, modesty and all that. Here's the reality. When Paul's talking about modesty in this passage, he's not talking about the length of shorts on girls. He's actually talking to modesty, meaning in that culture, in that place, there were, there were men and women coming and they were dressing themselves really, really in, in this great fashion, all these jewels and gold in their hair and all that to show, look how much money I have. That's the heart in which Paul says, hey, let's dress in modesty. So as we enter into this discussion today, I will do my best to help us understand the culture, the time, the place, the circumstances that are going on, but may we never take one little sentence out of context and build this theology on it. So as we jump in, here's our position at Hill City. When I say our, I mean the elders of Hill City Church. We believe that men and women are uniquely created in the image of God, both of them, and are given distinct but complementary roles in marriage, family, and the church for the flourishing of humanity. The official, the official name for that is complementarianism. You can see it on the screen. Here's, what it, here's, the defin, here's one of the definitions. That God created man and woman equal in value and personhood and equal in bearing his image. But men and women are given distinct roles in marriage and the church. So God created men and women equal in value and personhood. He's created them both in his own image. He has blessed them both. They each have equal value, worth, and dignity. But men and women are given distinct roles that complement one another, and that is for the flourishing of marriage, family, and the church. So what complementarian is not is men flourish while women do not. That is not complementarianism. What is not is diminishing the importance or influence of women in the church. Women, my goal today is that you leave empowered. That's my goal. So complementarian says that God created men and women in his own image. Here's what Genesis 1.27 says. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. And so Genesis pulls out this idea that the design of God are two separate beings, male and female, that both have dignity, worth, and value. They're creating the image of God, but they're given different roles. So men and women are equal, but they are not interchangeable. Equal but not interchangeable. And as we look at what that looks like for the church, we do not look at culture to give us that definition. We look at the design. So we see in Genesis, and this is what I talked about last week. Go back and listen to it. Genesis 1 and 2, God lays out the design. But here's the problem. Genesis 3 happens and humanity rebels against that design. And now sin and brokenness comes and it corrupts God's good design. So here's the reality. I know some of the stories out here. I know some men that grew up with abusive fathers that stepped out of God's design. I know men that grew up with abusive, verbally abusive mothers that tried to manipulate and control them. There's young ladies out here that have suffered deeply at the hands of men in their life. Deeply. 
and we feel that bend and we feel that sting. There's a great quote I found in research last week. It says this, sin is corrupted. Both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. And so the rule of love founded in paradise in Genesis is replaced by struggle, tyranny, domination, and manipulation. Young men, single men out here, I'd love nothing more than for you to become a gracious, loving, sacrificial, humble leader of your wife and your family one day. Women, young ladies, single women, I want nothing more for you than to have a gracious, sacrificial, loving man that comes and treats you with respect and worth and dignity and for you to come underneath his leadership and be all that God has for you because that's the design. Now here's what happens with sin. Sin twists that design and it bends it and instead of that we feel struggle and tyranny and domination and manipulation. Now, here's what we challenged you last week, because we felt the sting. Anyone felt the sting in here? We felt it. What we can't do is when we feel the sting of a broken system, we can't look at the original design and say, well, that's bad. No, we look at the brokenness and we say, that's bad. Because here's what often happens because of, um, let's take men who are aggressive and domineering and want to lord themselves over women. Then The women look at that and say, well, I don't want any part of that and therefore I don't want any part of God because how could a good God create a man like that and I'm not going to come. We press against the evil, we press against the twist, but we don't press against the design because the design is good. As I taught today, men, if there's any part of you today that puffs up, you're missing it. And that puff up is the flaw. Women, if there's any part of you today that cringes, I don't believe you're cringing against Jesus. I believe you're cringing against the twist, the brokenness. But may we see that God is good. So as we look today at what gender role means for the church, and specifically Hill City Church. Here's what your elders believe. Here's what we believe. That the primary role of leadership, the primary role of leadership in marriage, the family, and the church is assigned to godly, humble, sacrificial, Christ-like men. That they are primarily called to lead, protect, and serve. And the design of women then as complementary helpers, is to come right alongside these men, not underneath them, not over them, right alongside them as the women exercise all their gifts and, then, and they work together for God's glory. That's what complementarianism is and that's what we want our church to look like. Godly, leading, sacrificial, humble men, women that come right alongside as they complement one another for God's glory. What's it, does it, what does it mean for something to complement something else? What that means is you have two things and both of them are good, but together they are better. Peanut butter, jelly. Together they are better, right? Pe some people say peanut butter and chocolate. I think that is from the devil himself. And every time I say something like, you don't like Reese's? No, I hate Reese's. Oh, I just can't stand it. Peanut butter and chocolate are great, but they do... I, they do not complement each other well, I don't believe. Call me a heretic. So when two things complement each other, red wine and steak, they come together, they perfectly complement one another. That is the idea of complement. And so what we believe for God's design is he's created man, created woman. They come together and they perfectly complement one another, yet they are distinct. They are equal but not the same, not interchangeable. Turn to uh, um, 1 Timothy. We'll get to that in a second. Go ahead, you can go ahead and start turning there. Okay, so as we look at God's design for the church and God's role for the church, actually, yeah, go ahead and turn, turn to 1 Timothy. We'll look at a couple others first. One of the things we have to understand is how Jesus and, and the New Testament leaders, Paul, for example, interacted with women. Here's what we know about Jesus. We're going to study Luke um, over the next year. We'll start here in a few weeks. Jesus had women disciples that he taught 
that he involved in ministry, that he loved and shepherded and cared for, and then he sent out. So we always read about the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. Well, Jesus had a bigger crew than the 12. And that crew, there were women involved in that. And all through Jesus' ministry, you can see him interacting with women and serving them and loving them and teaching them and sending them. Paul, one of the leaders of the New Testament church, all throughout his ministry, he affirms the value of women. Now, we're going to look at a different thing that Paul wrote today, and many people want to make Paul a chauvinist because of what he wrote. Hopefully, I can help you understand that he's not. Here's what he says in Philippians 2. He's writing this church. He says, I entreat you, Iodia, and I treat you, Syntyche. These are two women, two leading women in that church, to agree in the Lord. So they're, they're disagreeing over some, like, ministry practice or something. So I ask you, my true companion, he's writing to someone, help these women, here we go, who have labored side by side with me, complimentary, side by side with me in the gospel. He didn't say help these women who have, who have served every need I had underneath me and obey what I, no. Help these women who have served side by side with me as my fellow workers. You see the attitude? He's thinking of these two women that helped him and, and were, were right alongside him and he's nothing but compassion and love for him. He's like, man, these two, they served, they helped, they were, my, they were my fellow workers. They weren't these servants. Acts chapter 18, I love this. Verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, who's this leader in the church, a, a native of Alexandria, he came to Ephesus and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. When it says scriptures, it means the Old Testament. He began instructing in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he's teaching about Jesus, but he's, he doesn't have all the pieces together. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, that's a married couple, a man and a wife, husband and a wife, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Apollos goes, he, he has a lot of knowledge, he's teaching, and they hear some things like, oh, he needs some more help. Um, they come to him, hey, let us take you and let us teach you a little bit. Like you're passionate and you're good, but you need to learn a few things. They did that together. So all through the New Testament, we see the role of women as one, as complementary, side-by-side, equal helpers in the kingdom of God. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 before you put it on the screen. Um, especially ladies, uh, as we read this, um, give me time to explain the context. Don't take one verse and read and go, oh. Give us a chance. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. Here's what Paul says. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger, anger or quarreling. Sounds like a great church, right? Men come together praying, not fighting. Likewise, that women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair. Now, don't freak out. All you girls are like, oh, I'm not going to take that out. <laughs> not with braided hair or gold or pearl, pearls, or costly attire. Remember I was talking about these women that were coming trying to dress themselves and show how much money they had. That's the context. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Verse 11 is where we'll focus in. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Okay? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, someone who does not approach Bible study good takes that verse out and says, see, that's why I'm not a Christian. That's why we've moved, as a culture, we've moved beyond this Bible thing that wants to put down women. That's what we do and we take that out of its context. But let's try to understand what it says. Here's what says, Paul says, let a woman learn. When Paul wrote this, the time and place he wrote this, Paul just blew up the cultural value and norm of that day. How did he blow it up? Let a woman learn. 2,000 years ago, who's in charge of, of this area of the world? Anyone know? 
Rome, good answer. Rome is. Here is the belief among Romans about women, that women are intellectually inferior to men. That's what Roman culture taught and believed. So if you were a woman living in Rome, you were seen as intellectually inferior to your male counterparts. In the Jewish tradition, women women were not allowed in the synagogue. They were not allowed to learn. Women in Judaism were expected to be silent with little regard for an opportunity for them to learn. If they were going to learn something, it was only if their husband decided to share with him what he learned. That's how women were we're seeing in that day. And when Paul says, let a woman learn, he just dropped the bombshell on that culture. Matter of fact, there's a writing from, a Jewish writing, not in the Bible, um, but from this day. And the quote is, that, by the way, Torah, I'm using the word Torah. Torah is the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. Here's the quote from that day. Better to burn the Torah than to teach it to a woman. That was the belief in that day. So when Paul comes along and he says, let a woman learn, there would have been like a, they went through the crowd. Not because he was offensive to women, because the men were like, oh, I don't know about that. This was countercultural in Paul's day. Paul just took a huge step forward for the role of women in the church. This was liberating to women. Every woman that read this and heard this would have said, praise Jesus. I can now learn about God. I can learn about Jesus. I am now seen with worth, dignity, and value. Up until this time, the the, uh, ancient world, women were property. So this is an example of where we approach the Bible. We have to work to understand the context, the time, the place it was written. And we never take one little verse pull it out over here, and then build a theology. See, woman, you better, you can learn, but by God, you better be quiet. Never. Because that's taken out of the context. And we can't do that in any situation, any conversation. Any, we can't take one sentence, pull it out from its original and say, well, this is what happened. Give me an example. So we had, a, we had our ministry team leader meeting this Tuesday, this past Tuesday, which is all of our volunteers that lead our different areas of ministry. It's like 30 people in the room. And one of our connections, the leads our, people lead our connections um, area. She was up there. I won't say her name, but it's a certain redhead that leads our connections area. Um, she was up there, and she was sharing the vision of our connections ministry. And she's talking about what they're trying to do. And then here's the, what she says, and I quote, We want our pastors to touch all of our people. <laughs> now, you take that, Right? And you take it out and we put it on Facebook at Hill City Church. We want our pastors to touch all of our people. <laughs> we'll all be in jail, right? <laughs> no, but in the, uh, in the conversation, the context of what she was saying and knowing what's going on, what she was saying was she wants our pastors, the goal is our pastors get to know our people and can encourage them in love. That's the, what she's trying to say. And the danger with the Bible is you take one verse, you pull it out, you build some theology and say, see, keep them quiet. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now again, let's understand. Let a woman learn quietly. What it doesn't say is let a woman learn in silence. And the heart behind this statement, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Again, Paul's just broken out the stereotype of saying women can't learn, but here's what he says. How should a woman learn? Quietly, humbly, respectfully. Guess what? How should men learn? Quietly, humbly, respectfully. That's how men should learn. So he's not saying, oh, women, you should learn like this, but men, you can do whatever you want. No, Paul is trying to order, here's what it looks like to grow and learn in the church. And that is available now to women who should have a posture of humble submission and learning and growing. College students, how many of you walked, it's a syllabus week this week, right? Syllabus week. How many of you walked into your professor in the classroom day one and was like, hey, I'm here to learn. I got something to tell you. No, what was your posture? You sat down in submission and humility and were quiet. 
doesn't mean you didn't have conversation and ask questions and, and discuss, but it means your posture is one of gracious, loving submission. That's what Paul is saying to the church should look like. And we know it doesn't mean that women are supposed, not supposed to speak because it says, let a woman learn, learn quietly. Okay, take that word quietly. There's another verse in 1 Timothy that says that all Christians should live a peaceful and quiet life. It's the same word. So we not look at that second verse when Paul says, let all Christians lead a peaceful and quiet life and say, well, we're not supposed to talk. No, what's, the, what, what's he saying? Like as you live as believers, as we live out in the workplace in our communities, let us be humble and teachable and loving and respectful as we live our lives. One commentary, I love this, said this, Paul is establishing the Christian climate for learning and it's one in which women are welcomed. Women at Hill City, you are welcomed, you are encouraged, we want to equip you for all works of ministry. I talked to someone last hour who came up to me and said, I grew up in a culture, in a church, where I was expected to come and to be quiet and that men would do everything. She said, since I've been at Hill City serving and growing here, I'm flourishing as a woman. That's our goal. Let's keep going, verse 12. Again, trying to understand what do these roles mean and what's it mean for the church? Here's what he says, verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Get to that in a second. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So here's what Paul's doing. He's going now back to Genesis and to the creation. He's going to say, listen, they have distinct roles, men and women. Adam was created first, and he was given this role of caretaker. Verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman who was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, here's what he's not doing. He's not blaming all the sin of man on the woman. That's not what he's doing, women. He's saying that what happened in Genesis is God had distinct roles, but the evil came and caused a role reversal, and Adam became passive while Eve started making decisions on, okay, yeah, we're going to eat this fruit. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, yet she, now he's just talked about Genesis, who's the she he's talking about? Eve will be saved through childbearing. Because again, growing up, I was like, so women are saved because they have babies? So women, if you want to be saved, you want to come to Christ? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that this, God created this order of creation, male and female, that humanity rebelled against that, but that all of humanity will be saved through childbearing. Now, question, what child? Jesus. Remember what he tells the serpent? And back in Genesis chapter 3, yeah, you deceived the woman, but one day this woman will have a child, meaning her heirs will have a child that will come, Satan, and smash your face. That's the context that Paul's talking. He's going back to that design. And then he says, so let me back up. So verse 12, and not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Now let's skip down to the end of verse 14. They continue in faith and love and holiness of self-control. So here's what Paul's trying to say. Let a woman learn. Let her learn quietly and submissively, just like a man. I don't permit her to have authority. We'll talk about that in a second. But let her, let her learn and let her continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. That's the argument Paul is trying to make. Now let's get to verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. There are smart people, godly people, that disagree on what this means. I'll just tell you that. There are churches in Springfield. There are great gospel-centered churches that would disagree with where we are on this passage. It doesn't mean they're evil, that they're going to hell, that they're off. We just disagree on some things. For Hill City Church, in, in this complementary position, here's what we believe. That the primary position of leadership in the church is reserved for qualified men. Now that primary position, what is that? The position of elder or pastor or overseer. It's all the same position, just called different things. That pastor-elder role, we believe, is, is given to men 
And they are called to lead the church in that way. And women are then called to be complementary helpers to come alongside as we lead the way God has called us to leave. And that's what we believe is happening in verse 12. Now, here's the debate, and, and, and I'll just have some transparency here. I don't know if I know exactly where I completely stand on this, because here's the debate in verse 12. When Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority, is he talking about that office of elder, like that position of teaching and authority, or is he talking about the function, the practice of teaching. So here's what I mean by that. Is he saying that in the gathering of believers on Sunday morning, kind of this gathering time, is he saying that a woman can never teach? Or is he saying that, can they function in that teaching role? Or is he saying that they can never be in the position of elder, teacher, overseer? And that's where you have smart, godly people that will disagree. And in all humility, here's what, your, here's what your elders want to say. We might be wrong, but we are called to lead as we believe God's calling us to lead. And I'll just be very transparent with you. We are still working out what exactly we believe and how that nuances out to practice here. So, for example, we do not believe that women can... Uh, we do not believe that women can never, should never teach. As a matter of fact, we have two different theology, theology seminars starting in two weeks. One of them is taught by men, one of them is taught by women. We have godly women that teach in our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, city groups. We don't believe that that means that women can never teach. Here's the question we're still wrestling with. What does that look like for the gathering of believers on Sunday morning at Hill City Church? And I'll just be transparent. We are still working through that. And we might be wrong. But we definitely believe that the office or the position of elder overseer is for men who, are, who, who meet some qualification, we'll look in a second, that are called to lead. Verse 12, when it says, I don't, I don't permit a woman to exercise authority, the King James Version, which I know many of you don't read anymore, it actually says to usurp authority. And, and what the way we read that is like kind of stepping in place of saying no. Uh, it was a woman saying, no, guys, elders, get out of the way. I'm going to teach now. And that's a whole different position than us going to a woman saying, hey, will you teach on this? Like under the authority and under the elders, like will you come and teach? Because we've heard you teach this. You do really good. And let's sit back. Let us teach. If you came to our parent seminar, we had a woman that taught that and led that at our parent conference. So we don't believe that women are never called to teach. However, at Hill City Church, the role of pastor elder will always, as long as we're here leading, and only be men. That's what we believe. And the Bible lays out the qualification for this position. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I won't read it all. And here's what I want you guys to know. Again, man, if there's part of you that puffs up right there, like, yeah, that's right, we're called to lead, you haven't read on. Because here's what Paul said it looks like for elders. For these men that want to be elder, here's, here's what there should be. Here's what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 3. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, desires a noble task. And then he lists some of the qualifications. Let me just read some. He must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, sober self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not quarrelsome, not loving money, lead his house well. Any of you men like, yep, check, got it, sign me up, put I'm ready to go. No, like that should put a level of fear in us. And please, I beg you, don't ever look at myself or Brad or any of the guys up here teaching and think that we're like, yep, got that taken care of now. No, we are broken, flawed men that are leading the grace of God, challenging, rebuking, encouraging one another to try to be these type of people, but knowing that we will never do that on our own and we need the grace of God to forgive us of that. This is the weighty calling. And especially, like, here's the deal. I get paid for this. Like, you guys give and, and your tithes and offerings, and that's what pays my salary. We have one lay elder, and in a couple weeks we'll have a couple, hopefully we'll have a few more. Um, lay elder means they don't get paid. 
So these guys have a job outside of the church, have a family, have a wife, have kids, and then they have to come in here also and try to lead and shepherd and think through and plan and pray and teach and have really hard conversations when some of you make really bad decisions and we love you enough to go talk to you about it. Like, I don't look forward to those. And Paul's trying to say, listen, this role of elder is a weighty call. Now, here's my prayer. We have a lot of men. We have a lot of young men out here. My prayer is that you will continue to grow and that you will seek to be an elder at this church. And we would welcome you. And it is a lengthy process. We pick up every single rock in your life that you can ever imagine. We open every door. And we dig. And we challenge. And we rebuke. And we equip. And it is a process. So in two weeks, actually next week, we'll bring two guys up here who have full-time jobs. One's a doctor, one's in, in financial, uh, financial stuff. <laughs> Whatever that is. Uh, uh, financial advisor, that's what I couldn't think of. It. And we will bring them up, and they have been through this process, and we will come to you as elders, the covenant members, and we will say, they have been through our process. We trust and want to affirm these men. And we will ask our congregation, you'll have two weeks to tell us any reason why we should not make them elders. So if one of them owes you like, you know, $10,000, he says, I'm not paying you. You need to let us know that. So we'll bring them up and they'll do that. And if we hear nothing, they will be installed as elders. And those guys will now have the weight of shepherding and caring for Hill City Church. Paul even goes on in, in chapter five of 1 Timothy, verse 17, he says this, let the elders who rule well, who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Here's what I'll tell you. Now, I'm never, I love my job. I mean, I absolutely love my job. And I'm never one of those like, oh, I have such a hard job because I know a lot of you work really hard. Um, there's a spiritual weight. There's an emotional weight to shepherding and pastoring. There's an emotional weight to teaching every week. There's this kind of phrase like Sunday's coming. So I get done and I walk off today and it's like, okay, about six more days. And here we go again. And there's a weightiness to this. I call Sunday afternoons, you can talk to my wife and kids, I call it the Hill City Hangover. Okay? Because I'm just emotionally drained. And whoever teaches up here, especially doing two services, what happens is your drilling kind of spikes the first one and it goes back down, it's like, ooh, up again. And it's exhausting. And so that's what Paul's saying. Like this role, is, this, this position of elder is a weighty, lofty role, and it's not this thing of like, yeah, we're men and we lead. It's this like humble submission where we exhaust it, but we, are, we love our people, we love the bride of Christ, we love Jesus, and we're trying to serve the best way we can. And a side note, as we talk about complementarianism, it's something we have to make sure we understand. All women are not subject or underneath all men. So as men, we never look around and see a woman and be like, yep, she's underneath me. I'm authority over there. No, sorry, you don't get that. You don't get that. That the position, the language of the New Testament, the church, is not men up top and women below. It's brother and sister. So men, it's sisters, not subordinates. All throughout the New Testament, we see love each other with brotherly love. Love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the language of the New Testament church. And parents, like, you, you understand this. I, I don't have, I just have two girls. I don't have any boys. But Brad, the other pastor, he has um, some, I don't know how many kids. He has one new one each week or something. But uh, he has four kids, and they're two boys and two girls. And Brody's his oldest. And so if Brody comes up to Brad this week, and Brody's starting to get in wrestling, and so he's starting to get, you know, that thinks he's strong. And he's like, Dad. Now that I'm a man and in, you know, I'm doing wrestling and all that, my sister Clementine, like, I, I kind of feel that she should bring my food to me for dinner and serve me. First of all, I'd love to be a fly on that wall. I would love every second of that. I have a few ideas of what Brad might say. Um, I, won't, I won't subject what I think. Here, here's what I think would probably happen. Brad would say, you know, Brody? And he would pause. You got the loads paused. You know, Brody? And then he paused for a little bit and let the tension ride. As a matter of fact, since you brought that to my attention, instead of 
Clementine serving you. You know what you're going to do, Brody? You're going to serve the rest of the family for the next month. <laughs> Parents, you look at your children, and you don't look at a, your boy and say, yep, they have authority over their sitting. No, they are equal. And that is the posture of, of the church. They're equal, equally in, equal in value, dignity, and worth. They're brothers and sisters. So let me wrap up this practical. What's this mean for Hill City Church? Here we are, local community. So as elders, here's our job. As we take these, the, and there's more pastors. I could keep going on different pastors. I won't. We must take this theological conviction, these truths, and now apply it to practice to our daily ministry of Hill City Church. Now, one of the things that we have committed to in starting Hill City, we will not place restrictions where the Bible does not place restrictions. Nor will we prescribe what the Bible is not prescribed. So you will never hear me up on stage tell you what political party you should be a part of or what candidate you should vote for. Because the Bible doesn't tell me that you're supposed to be Republican or Democrat. Nor will you hear me tell you that you can never smoke a cigar. Because the Bible doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, we have this thing called steak and stogies that we do where a lot of the guys get together and we grill steaks and smoke stogies. You will never hear me tell you don't drink alcohol because the Bible doesn't tell that. As a matter of fact, we have men and women in our church that brew their own beer. You will never hear me tell you don't play cards. I, I grew up in a, my grandpa was a, a real, real conservative Southern Baptist preacher. And my family, anyone played the card game Rook? You old timers played that? Yeah, I know. Uh, the reason we played Rook is because Rook is not played with normal playing cards because those are evil because they can be used for gambling. True story. So we will not place restrictions where the Bible is not placed, nor prescribe what the Bible is not prescribed. So for Hill City Church, for women, the only position that women are not called to or invited into at Hill City Church is the role of pastor or elder. That's the only position. We believe that godly, qualified, humble, sacrificial men are called to be pastor and elders of the church and that all people, all members are called to submit to the elders. Now, make sure we understand this. That includes me. I'm not the CEO of Hill City Church. You don't want me to be the CEO of Hill City Church because I call financial advisors financial guys that do things, right? You don't want me to be the financial. I'm not the CEO. I am one of the elders, but I, just like you, in submission to the elders. So my, in our elder room, in our circle, when we get there and talk, my voice is not louder. I don't have more authority. I don't have more weight. Sometimes I do. I'm trying to cut back right now. Uh, but I don't have like this, I don't have this presence that says, well, I'm in control. No, I am in submission to the elders just like you are. And so we believe that men are called to be elders and the rest of us are called to glad submission underneath them. So at Hill City Church, we desire to see women serve on staff at any level, including the executive team, at any level except for pastor. The executive team are the, are the upper level people that work during the day that are, that are playing out vision and, and, and strategizing. How do we do this? We welcome women into that conversation. At Hill City Church, women can lead groups, lead city groups. We have husbands and wives live to get, lead together. We have some women that lead on their own. Women can lead our setup team. That's not like a man's job. One wants to come in and lead the setup team and do that. She can do that. Women can lead music. Women can baptize this next one may be new for some of you. If you grew up in a different context, women can be deacons at Hill City Church. Now, some of your churches you came from, deacons really served as elders. You didn't have elders, you had deacons. And the deacons were kind of in charge of overseeing and that sort of thing. We would say they were really the function of elders. We don't have deacons yet. It's in the plan for the next year. But deacons at Hill City will be servants. And we believe male or female can be servants, can be deacons. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Paul says this. He's writing, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. Now, the word servant is the same word deacon. A servant of the church. And he keeps going. I don't have time to unpack this, but for Hill City Church, men and women can be servants or deacons as we get this going. So if we're going to flourish, church, 
We need godly, strong men, sacrificial, love their wives, love their family, lay their lives on the line. Men, we need you to come in this gathering and sing. You know the best thing for our young men and women is to look up and see their dad just singing with joy, a smile on his face. Men, we need you to do that. We need men, strong, sacrificial men, to go in our kids' ministry and serve there. It's one of the things that our, our kids' team is praying about, that more of you men would volunteer and go in there and serve. We need men discipling other men. We have young men all over the place. Men, we need you discipling and pouring and investing in them. We need strong, godly men to desire to become elders to sacrificially lead the church. Now, women, we need strong, godly women leading worship, discipling, teaching, strategic thinking. We need you. And if you come here to Hill City and you're a woman, I want you to know that this is a place where we believe in you. We pray that you will flourish. We want to equip you. We believe that you are talented, you are gifted, and that you can do anything outside of elder that a man can do. And oftentimes you'll probably do it better. Women, that's a place you can be like, amen, brother. I preach it. <laughs> you guys got to work on that. I'm telling you, Rich going to think you hate him if you don't get that going. A church that does not encourage and equip both sexes to engage their gifts suffers and will never reach its full potential. And for the men and women in Hill City Church, our desire is to invest and equip you together for God's glory, for his kingdom. Now here's the reality. As elders, we're going to mess up sometimes. And we're going to get it wrong sometimes. Husbands, any husbands out there? We're going we're to get it wrong sometimes, aren't we? We're going to slide into domineering sometimes. Or we're going to slide into passivity. Women, you're going to get it wrong sometimes. You're going to step back in passivity instead of letting your voice be heard. Or you may try to lead up and assert authority and try to take into, we're going to get it wrong, which is why we have the table, communion, because it points to our need for Jesus. So my prayer is men and women, husbands, wives, single people, that today as you, as you meditate in the scriptures, you think about this, here's, I hope, your conclusion, man, I need Jesus. Man, our church needs Jesus. Man, these elders need Jesus. We do. And the reason that we practice communion every week, the reason we come up and receive communion every single week at our church is because every week we remind ourselves that we are in need of the grace and love and mercy of God. And I am just as in need as you are. And so my prayer this morning that men and women would come together as equal in the eyes of God, created in his image with beautiful complementary roles for the body of Christ. We'd come together, we'd celebrate a God that forgives and loves and shows mercy because we're in need of it. If you came here this morning in hopes that maybe if you come here, God might forgive you and you might get like, here's what you need to know. You have a loving, sacrificial, gracious God does not expect you to get your act together to come to him.